This is the Photo Experiment Podcast, brought to you by PhotoBiz X. This is the Photography Experiment Podcast, episode number 21, and today's special guest is Jacob Fu. He is one of the co-owners of the localadventurer.com blog. He and his wife, Esther, they move to a new city every year, and while they are based in these new cities, they blog about all the fantastic things to do in their area. Their blog, localadventurer.com, is one of the top 50 travel blogs in the world, and all this stemmed from a start in the wedding photography industry. I can't wait to bring in this interview. It's coming up in just a minute. Before we get to that, I want to say a massive thanks to the Image Salon for making this episode possible and for sponsoring the Photography Experiment podcast. The Image Salon is the perfect company to talk to if you are looking at outsourcing your photography editing, your post-production work, and looking to free up more of your time so you can focus on shooting and running a profitable business and spend less time behind the computer. I'll tell you more about the Image Salon later in the show. All right, let's get into the interview with Jacob. Today's guest is Jacob Fu of localadventurer.com one of the top 50 travel blogs in the world. The blog has seen Jacob and his partner Esther moving to a new city each year from Atlanta to LA to Vegas to San Diego and Portland where they are now. They picked one year because it's long enough to find the hidden gems but also temporary enough to motivate them to go out there and explore often. Before the blog, Esther and Jacob both had a wedding photography business for around eight years which they've now left behind. The local adventure blog which takes up their time now is filled with beautiful photography, travel tips, advice, places to visit, city guides, things to do, plus how-to articles on blogging, photography and travel. It really is a gorgeous, easy to navigate fun site that you can easily find yourself lost on and exploring for way too long. I'm wrapped to have Jacob with us now. Jacob, welcome mate. Thanks, Andrew. That was an amazing intro. I think I'm going to have to hire you to introduce us anywhere we go. <laughs> oh, mate, look, it's great to have you on the show. And, you know, just looking at the blog and the way you guys are living life, it looks like an amazing adventure. Is it like it seems on the blog? Yes and no, right? I think especially with anybody who runs their own business, you know, there's definitely the dreamy portion of it and days that we absolutely love what we're doing. And with owning your own business, you're wearing a lot of hats. So you're having to do all the stuff that you don't like doing as well. So I think a lot of times when people look at us and, you know, one of the most common comments we get is like, oh, you're just living a vacation, like endless vacation. That must be amazing. Uh, But, you know, you're not posting up on social media the hours you put behind on a computer editing and emailing and just working out all those deals. So it's absolutely an amazing life, but definitely takes a lot of work. For sure. So you've already referred to it as a business. How does a blog like Local Adventurer generate income? Yeah, yeah. It's such an interesting world to be in. I've found that Every blog is a little bit different and it's a little bit of Wild West in terms of, you know, there's no two blogs that are alike on how they make money. For us, we do about, I would say about 50% of our income is through sponsored content. So that's anywhere from products to destinations who are hiring us to write about whatever they're promoting. About 25% comes from affiliate sales. So those who aren't familiar with that, it's basically, you know, we put together packing guides or reviews of products. And if you click through and buy those products from Amazon or REI or whatever website, we get a small kickback from that. And then the last 25% is through ads that we just have running on our site. I don't see that many ads. So 
They must be pretty well hidden or are they disguised inside the content? You know, the ads are something we stayed away from for a really long time. And even now we're really selective with how much we're putting onto it. I would say if you had talked to me maybe six months ago, ads would have only been about five, ten percent of our income. And we just recently partnered with a new ad network that we've really loved. And so they've been able to really increase the revenue in our ads without having to increase how many ads we have on our site. Especially Esther as her as being the creative director for everything that we're doing. She never wants the ad experience to be something that turns away readers or anything like that. So we really try to keep it to a minimum, even if we're giving up income from it. For sure, for sure. You mentioned Esther there, and I you know, mentioned it briefly in the intro. So are you guys a husband and wife team? And what are the separate roles you play in the business? Yeah, yeah, we are. We've been married for just over seven years now. Esther is really the boss, as, as in <laughs> most marriages, who at least the happy ones that I've met. Um, <laughs> she makes all the decisions when it comes to anything that is outward facing. And honestly, anything internally, I run by her. But she focuses on kind of the day-to-day content, everything that the reader is experienced. For the most part, Esther has her hands on. The photography is hers. She's a spectacular photographer. Um, I do a lot of the initial writing for the blog. So I'll do kind of the first drafts where then she'll take it and really make it her own. And I also really focus on the business side of stuff. So I'm dealing with managing, you know, all our clients and sales and reaching out to potential clients that we may have and fielding any of the incoming stuff. And on the creative side, I'll do more of the video work where while she's focusing on the photography. Cool. When you talk about clients, that's different to when you were a wedding photographer, isn't it? Because your clients now will be other businesses looking to work in conjunction with you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, whereas in wedding photography, you know, I saw it as we had kind of the two relationships of obviously the direct clients that we had through the bride and the groom, but also the relationships we had with all the other vendors. So wedding planners and venues, you know, to kind of get repeat business and whatnot. It's much more of that B2B business business focus on what we're doing now. And so it's really building those relationships and trying to see if a one-off deal we can foster into being a year-long deal or just longer-term partnerships. Got it. Got it. Mate, let's step back to the wedding photography days. You know, was the business running well? Like, were you enjoying it? Was it making a good income? It was. So, you know, our backgrounds, again, Esther, she studied chemistry in college, but right after college, she went into basically doing her wedding photography business. So when I had met her, she had been running her business for about four to five years and it was doing well. She was making a living off of it and whatnot. And so at that time, my background is more in business and I was a corporate job at the time when we met. And when I ended up quitting to help her, I really focused on the business side. And in a way, I think what happened is I kind of squashed her creative side of the business, which was hard for me to understand at the time. You know, as like I wasn't a photographer. I didn't come in as like the artist type person. So I started building relationships where we started shooting a lot of the same venues repeatedly. And, you know, as any photographer kind of you start to lose that passion and that it's hard to be creative when you've shot the same venue you know, for your 20th time type of thing. So business was good, but I think what happened is we gave up a lot of that excitement for the job. And that's eventually why we ended up leaving the business. It sounds to me like, you know, with the input that you had, you were going to be generating a bigger and better 
photography business, but the spark <laughs> was going out of it for, for Esther. I mean, it sounds like you're already getting on a roll. It sounds like it was going to boom. Yeah, yeah. We were doing well. We were booking five to $12,000 weddings. And it was doing well, absolutely. But I think, again, it's trying to balance that whole creativity and, and loving it while also running the business to a successful stint. So I think that's a lesson we took. And we're trying to do that with this to where, you know, yes, it's about the money and running a successful business, but more so about being happy with what we're doing. And if we need to take a step back and, you know, just take some time off and we're OK with that, then that's OK as well. And we're, we're always constantly looking to see how we need to pivot and how we need to shift. Oh, I love it. So when you had the wedding photography business or when you were sort of wrapping it up, you know, going by those numbers, were you doing something like a $250,000 revenue? Uh, I'm trying to think of what it was towards the end. Two hundred fifty would probably be a little bit high. What we ended up doing is we actually started scaling back on the number of weddings we would shoot. You know, we were living in Atlanta at the time. And for us, doing 150 was very comfortable. And so we would just book until we were kind of comfortable for the year and just sit at that. Okay, so you guys all were already about lifestyle back then. Yeah. That's so good. Okay, talk to us about how you made the transition to the blog. You know, was that something that was already running in the background? Was this just an idea that you woke up with one day? Yeah, well, so we had a little bit of a transition. Towards the end of the wedding business, I had started to dabble in YouTube. And so my brother and I had a YouTube channel that started to grow so we initially made the move out from Atlanta to LA really to pursue that YouTube channel, which I did with my brother for two years. And so during that time, Esther had decided to put down the camera for a while. And once she kind of decided to pick it back up and figure out what she wanted to do, she decided, you know, we've always loved traveling. So she started to go back in the archives and, and kind of document all the stuff that we've been doing. And over those two years, it kind of formed into what it is now. And if you look back really at the early stuff, you can tell that there was still a lot of identity. We weren't sure what we were doing with the blog. It was just kind of a hobby. And when she realized that people were doing this as a living, that's when she decided to kind of make a little more strategic decisions and put together posts that, you know, that she could see people using and see ourselves using. So in that two year period, that's when it started to really grow an organic following. And our YouTube stuff was doing well, but not to me well enough to continue to do it. So that's when I stopped doing YouTube and rejoined her with this venture and had her as my boss again. <laughs> so you came back to kill the creativity again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully not as uh, bad this time. <laughs> okay, just briefly then with your YouTube channel with your brother, yeah. were you guys monetizing that via ads and affiliate links and that sort of thing as well? So that was more so, I would say, more so sponsored and ads, not really much affiliate. So we did mostly music, did a lot of covers. So we would do some like MP3 sales as well. And then we also did a little stint where we were able to pitch and get funding for a kid's show. So we actually launched a kid's puppet show on YouTube, shot 15 episodes and uploaded that as well. So yeah, it's a, a lot of the space, YouTube, as well as blogging, it's kind of, you know, you try to make money wherever you can make money. I mean, a lot of that is, for me, I enjoy the B2B. So it's really trying to, to grow relationships with brands and foster those relationships. Got it. Got it. So I guess it's then you looking after the YouTube channel for local adventure then? 
Yeah, yeah, for the most part. That was our second channel from when our YouTube days where we would just kind of upload stuff that we didn't think was good enough for the main channel. And eventually I just took it over and use it kind of a little more supplementary content for the blog. We don't really focus on it, but I do still love creating videos and it's, it's just like a fun outlet for me, you know, creative wise. Got it. You know, Jacob, earlier you said that when Nessa sort of started to get going with the blog and she could see some organic growth happening and she realized that other people were making money from blogs, then she started to be a bit more strategic. Yeah. What did you mean by that? What sort of strategy? Um, you know, I think that's where, for a blog at least, there needs to be cohesiveness. There needs to be a very clear niche and what to expect when coming onto the blog. I think early on, it was a much more of an online diary, you know, just kind of whatever thoughts, whatever projects we just were interested, we'd put it all on there. But as we started to realize we really wanted to hone in on this focus of travel. So the name Local Adventure came about from kind of the idea of the fact that, you know, when you live wherever you live for a long time, you get comfortable and you get into your routine. But at the same time, with all this social media, you see all these far off places and you're, you know, you're just dreaming, oh, I wish I was here or there. And so we really wanted to encourage people, hey, everyone has 52 weekends in a year. You don't need to be traveling to Aruba just for an amazing trip. You know, there's amazing places in every city and adventures to be had near and far. So really, when we kind of honed in that message and that language, it helped to really shape the type of content that Esther was starting to create and what would work well. And so that's where she started to really look into more of that and also what kind of posts have been resonating with the reader so far. So creating more similar type posts like that and just really diving into a lot more of the analytics. Mm -hmm. So when you guys started to refine your message or get that direction, I guess that became your brand. Yeah. Was that over like a brainstorm session over dinner one night or is this something that takes months and months to develop? Definitely. It took time. Our initial website was actually just our wedding website, and it was just estherandjacob.com, and that's where we had uploaded everything. So when we did a brand change, it was a big deal, but it was definitely not kind of a light bulb type moment. Um, we had been talking about it for a while. And I think the blog, honestly, every six months or so, we do pivot just a bit. You know, It may not be a big pivot, and especially now as we're more established, it's harder to make larger changes. But we're constantly talking about it. It's kind of bad, you know, bedside manner. Like we really tried to turn off work when we go to bed, but as being coworkers and partners and everything, it is sometimes hard to turn off, but we try to make an effort not to draw those lines a little bit better. But yeah, now I would say it wasn't, you know, over dinner, but it was definitely over a few months that we had talked about the branding. Okay. So you come up with this brand, it's slowly developing. Talk me through the process that you guys go through. Like, do you make a list? Okay, you know, we have to start making these city guides. We have to go and visit this many places per month. We need to get this many posts out per week. Yeah. Is it that strategic? Yeah. So we definitely set goals for ourselves. For a good solid year, we did five posts a week. And that was part of, you know, as we did research and knowing for Google SEO and just value of blogs, like it was valuable to have a deep catalog of content. So we really pushed ourselves to do that. And it was a pretty horrible year of just like nonstop work. Now we do two to three posts a week consistently. We rarely miss that. And I think it's always important to set that kind of deadline, especially for a blog, like you need fresh content coming out. In terms of like the type of content we build, typically 
our process with that is, you know, as we move to a new city, we start with kind of our overall one-on-one bucket list post. And we let that kind of shape what we do and what we're exploring in the city. That bucket list itself actually will morph over the year as we start to check off things off that list. We'll realize, oh, you know, this wasn't as great as we thought. We're going to take it off the list and replace it with something else and whatnot. So that becomes kind of our overarching outline for our year. We have kind of our bucket list of what we want to get done. And then I would say nowadays, 50% busy with client stuff as well. So we're kind of fitting in a little bit of both now. When I look at your blog, like a lot of your readers have said, it looks like you guys are living the perfect lifestyle, you know, traveling (laughs) from place to place. Yeah. But now, you know, we've already had a little bit of a glimpse under the hood and you're doing, you know, two to three posts per month. You've got these client relationships to keep up and develop. You've got the advertising and the marketing. So do you set aside one or two days a week to go exploring? Do you do a whole lot in a month? It depends. It really depends on how much traveling we're doing outside of the city. So this summer has been crazy for us. You know, we've been home a week at a time and then we'd be gone and then a week at a time and we'd be gone. So in those cases, you know, we'd have to hunker down for five of those days and catch up on work and get ahead and then try to spend two of those days exploring locally around here. Ultimately, like for us, we work best when we're in the office. And so we really try to, when we're here, we work the 80-hour weeks just to make sure we can get it all done so that when we're on the road, we can focus on capturing content and focusing on being as present as possible with wherever we're exploring. But I know there's a lot of bloggers who work from the road as well. We just know that for us, we've found that we don't do that well. So we really try to focus on working the hard hours while we're here and then doing it, you know, when we're out, we're out. When we are here for extended periods of time, which kind of like the springtime was like that, we would try to allocate two to three days of a week to go out and explore and really like knock out a bunch of stuff on the bucket list and then come back to the office and again, get those hours put in. You've said something interesting again, because, you know, you say that when you're out there, you're focused on capturing content, yeah. but at the same time, you want to be in the moment. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I feel if I go, say, on a ski trip with my buddies, like I did last weekend, consciously I'm thinking, I should be taking photos of this. This is great stuff. I want to have these memories. But at the same time, I think, well, I don't want to stop and get my camera out. I just want to enjoy the moment. <laughs> Isn't that the struggle with any photographer? I feel like, you know, that people ask us like, oh, so when's the actual, like, when's the last vacation you've actually been on? And both of us kind of scratch our heads. And honestly, the last proper vacation we've been on was probably before the blog started. Because anywhere new you go is potentially new content. I mean, even when we were traveling before the blog, you know, Esther is a photographer that's just part of our itinerary. It's like you want to go to amazing photo spots no matter where you are and to capture that. And for her, you know, going to a place and missing out on a great photo, it feels like you didn't really go on the trip. And I think that's what most photographers are like. So for us, yeah, being in the moment is kind of capturing the photography. And, you know, like I think a good example is the total eclipse you know, just happened. And we were here in Portland. And so we were able to drive an hour away and be in the totality. Esther watched the entire eclipse through her camera, for the most part. (laughs) But there was no regrets from her from that, you know, like, some people may say they regret it. But like, for her, that's what she loves to do. And 
that's why she wanted to be there. So if anything, if she had just sat there and watched it and missed the chance to take the photos, she would have felt like she missed out more than actually getting to shoot it. True, true. But I guess within the clips, I mean, you're not really involved with that. I mean, you're just watching it. Yeah. But I mean, let's say you're on a rafting trip or a bike ride, you know, something like that. Yeah. Is she thinking, oh, man, I've got to get off this boat and get these shots or we've got to get off the trail? Yeah. No, funny enough, when it comes to like adventure type activities, she's not much of a multitasker. So I usually end up with the camera in those cases. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the one jumping out of the boat, taking the photo, trying to climb back into the boat and still enjoying it. But I'm one of the type of guys who are like ultimate multitasker. So to me, it doesn't distract me too much. I still enjoy getting to capture that moment. You know, I'll snap off a few and get back in. And in those type of photos, they're not as artistic. They're really just trying to capture that moment of what we're doing. So I can really just snap off spray and pray, get, get a few done, and then get back in and enjoy the adventure. Got it, got it. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. So when Esther's shooting, I mean, like, I know she's a photographer. Is she thinking strategically, you know, for the blog, for products, for promotion, or is she shooting what she likes the look of? A little bit of both. We definitely have shot differently as the blog has developed. You know, I think before we shot more in landscape as opposed to portrait. And for us, we get about 50% of our traffic from Pinterest, which is very, you know, you need that portrait layout. So we've learned to shoot a lot more in that kind of space and shooting a lot more white space because we know we have to put text on it. But when it comes down to it, it was not that different than learning to shoot for editorial for like weddings. You know, when you've learned to shoot for specific magazines and right, kind of hone in on that to where you know exactly what they want. They want the detail shots. They want the wide shots and whatnot. It's just finding that mix of photos. And I think for that, we've gotten really good at knowing what we need to shoot. But ultimately, you know, Esther is always trying to find a photo that she's happy with. So even if it is, you know, for that product or for that location, it's ultimately searching for the best spot for it. Got it. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into the business side of things. And I know this is sort of your domain. And I know that there are so many options, you know, with social media. You mentioned Pinterest there is one of your biggest traffic sources. So obviously you're focused there. But, you know, you've got YouTube, you've got Instagram, you've got Facebook, and then you've got your actual blog content. So just quickly, with the blog content first, I mean, you guys are putting out two to three posts per week. For the photographer that's listening, they're like, oh, man, there's no way I could do that. Yeah, is there a secret to generating that much content or is it just hard work? It's honestly just hard work. I think you can definitely get into a groove of, you know, kind of minimizing the agony of what it is. But yeah, there's no shortcut to it. That is a question people who are starting blogs ask us, like, how do you keep up with that many? And it is just putting in the hours. I think if you agonize over like what content you're putting into it, that does get really stressful. And we used to do that. But I think because we have kind of that structure of, okay, well, we have our bucket list. And from there, we're kind of branching out, you know, we have basically checklist of stuff we want to do. That's really helped shape our content and shape. Um, we're not stressed out about, okay, what content will be coming up. It's more so just getting the hours in to edit the photos and write the posts. Okay. So you've got a list there ready to work off. So you, yeah. when you sit down at your computer, you're not scratching your head thinking, what am I going to write about today? Correct. You've got a list of things you've got to get through. Yes, exactly. Got exactly. It. And do you punch out just a, a rough first draft in just a basic text editor and then worry about finessing it later or passing on to Esther to finesse? Yeah. So 
up until about three months ago, I would just put a draft in like a little nice text edit or note and send it over to her. But now I'm putting it, I'm doing a little more of the formatting work for her in WordPress. We have kind of our templates of formats on the different type of posts and I'll just put it in there. And I usually write the first draft and she'll take my what she calls very salesy writing and personalize it. <laughs> so yeah, you know, my background's business. So I just tend to come off a little more salesy and she hates that, but it helps her because as a creative, you know, for her, she'll sit down um, even writing a post and it'll be hard for her to kind of get that started. But because I'm able to put together kind of the outline and write down everything we need, then she's able to really form that into her thoughts. You guys compliment each other beautifully. You guys are a match made in heaven. <laughs> so you're actually now not even using any other app. You're doing your first rough draft straight into WordPress. Yeah, yeah. That's usually what I'm doing now. Yep. And eh, we compliment each other, but that also means because we're very different people, we fight a lot. So <laughs> uh, it's good and bad. <laughs> you mentioned there that you write in a salesy type language or with salesy type language. Is the goal of every post to sell something? No, absolutely not. The goal of every post is to be informational and to be useful to the reader. And honestly, I think that's what helped the blog grow to what it is now. You know, when Esther started the blog, I think her scientific background is part of why, you know, she never really wrote as like a feel good type fluff pieces. It was always like, okay, well, I want to pack in as much information into this post so that when somebody comes looking for the best views in Portland, they're not getting 10 images that say here are the 10 best views, but it's going to say where those views are. And like, here's an actual address. And here's some tips that we've learned from our mistakes of whether it's time of day to be there or when it's crowded, you know, and it's really trying to get as much information in so that people don't have to go anywhere else for it. Because I think that's what we found was frustrating when we would travel early on is when we look for blogs it's easy to find inspiration and it's easy to find beautiful photos, but if they don't tell you where, if you want to kind of experience that same thing and they don't help you get there, that's one of the most frustrating things to find, you know, you're just never able to find that information. So when you talk about using that salesy language, let's say, you know, you looking at one of your guides yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at one here now. So ice skating at the Cosmopolitan in Vegas. Yeah. So you guys went and did that. So when you write that post, if you write it with salesy language, is it like you're trying to sell the idea of going ice skating there? Is that what you mean by salesy? Yeah, yeah. It's um, I'm going to pull up the post to see how she rewrote it. But yeah, I think I just write everything very, um, yeah, like as if I was working for the Cosmopolitan yeah. Ice Rink and really trying to sell like, Go. you got to come here. It's the best ice in the city, you know, kind of. Uh, not really to that cheesiness, but no, no. definitely more so in that type of language. Whereas, you know, she writes a lot more personal, I would say. Got it. Okay. No, I think I know what you mean. How do you split up your time between all the different social media outlets? I mean, there's so many to choose from. There are. Honestly, we should spend the most time on Pinterest. Esther's doing all of that. I don't understand Pinterest at all because that is the largest actual traffic driver. The tricky thing is now is that, you know, social media is the sexy space in terms of any new media. Blogs are kind of becoming that uh, they're becoming a little dated. They are still used, obviously, but brands don't get to see likes and they don't get to see things. So they like social media and uh, social media influencers. So for us, our social media is on the relatively small side. 
And we're always trying to grow that just because everybody wants the whole package. Even though we may have a bigger blog than somebody else, you know, they'll see a bigger Instagram number and that's kind of the sexy social media. So they'll prefer to hire somebody like that. Depending on what the brand's goal is, you know, like for us, we're actually able to convert people on our blog to sales and we're able to convert people to uh, product sales and information much more thoroughly than I think any social media can. So I'm always really trying to educate on that aspect. Unfortunately, we have to spend time on all social media just because we have to build all of them. We focus mostly on Instagram just because we're both more visual people and we like that space. But yeah, our Facebook and Twitter, we've been talking about, we need to kind of refocus on, on building those numbers as well. Okay. So if you know that Pinterest is the big traffic driver, and let's say Facebook is the one you enjoy the least, and it's not doing that much for you, so why not just drop Facebook altogether and put that energy that you're going to spend there or think about spending there back into Pinterest? Uh, for that reason, for the reason that the brands still want it. When it comes down to it, brands are asking for it. Even if you don't have big numbers, they want Facebook posts. They want tweets. They want Instagram posts. And at the beginning, I was very resistant against that because I was like, look, you know, I guarantee you we're getting bigger numbers on our blog and we can actually give you uh, sales data on the products that you're sending us. And, you know, these Instagrammers can't get you that. But I've kind of given into the fact that, you know, their minds aren't going to be changed. Everybody still wants those posts. Got it. So do you outsource any of this stuff or do you have to do it all yourself, you and Esther? We do it all ourselves right now. We did hire on some folks earlier this year that we brought on kind of for a trial for six months. They were great. They helped contribute to the blog and help run some of our social. But when it came down to it, it also just added the stress of, you know, now we have the pressure of supporting other people and whatnot. And we realized it wasn't saving us enough time to where we wanted that additional stress. So we kind of stepped back and decided that and that was another pivot that we made six months ago to now that we're like, we're okay. We don't need to build a whole team. We want to be able to do what we want to do happily and still be able to not have to answer to anyone, I guess, is what it is. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's different to what a lot of other business entrepreneurs are trying to do. Here's so much about these people that want to grow big teams. Yeah. I love the fact that you guys want to stay how you are. Yeah. It's good. It's good enough. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you're enjoying this interview with Jacob Fu. Before we get on with the rest of the interview, I wanted to say again a big thanks to the Image Salon for making this episode possible. If you don't know about the Image Salon, they are an amazing company of editors that will help you with your post-production. And the really cool thing about the Image Salon, well, first of all, they service some of the biggest names in the industry. Ferberisti, Two Man Studios, Edwina Robertson, Gabe McClintock, all people I've interviewed on the Photo Biz Exposed podcast all great photographers. So you know that the Image Salon are trustworthy, reliable, and they do amazing work. Now, what you may not know about them is when you sign up with the Image Salon to have them do your editing, your post-processing, you will actually be assigned your own personal editor. So that means you get to build a close relationship and you get consistent results every time you submit your work because the same person will be editing your work. And some other really cool things you may not know about them they cater to any style. So if you shoot bright and airy, if you have this dramatic and punchy look or anything in between, your editor will work with you to get the look that you're after. And one of the things I didn't know about the company is all the editors 
are based in Montreal, Canada, and they're also photographers. So they understand how important it is to get your editing right and to get your images looking the way you want them to look. I mean, you're dealing with actual photographers who speak great English and they know what it's like to run a photography business. Now, if you want to check these guys out, head over to theimagesalon.com. If you are a new client, if you've never used the Image Salon before, you will get 50% off your first order. And if you are a regular client, because I know there's a good chance that you are, you can use the discount code BIZX, that's B-I-Z-X 15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. If you are brand new to the Image Salon and outsourcing, what happens is when you sign up, you get a kickoff call. And during that call, you'll be chatting to an onboarding team and they're going to be doing some live editing for 10 images or so of yours while you're on the phone because they want to get an idea of what you're after, exactly what you're after from your very first order. So this is their way to get dialed into the look that you're after right from the very first order. And the best thing about it is it happens. It's all free of charge, but it happens while you're on the phone with them. It's it's pretty cool. So again, if you want to find out more, head over to theimagesalon.com. All right, let's get back to Jacob and the local adventurer blog. I wanted to ask you about these business relationships and how you form those. Are business people mainly coming to you with products and services and events and ideas for you guys to go and explore, or are you going out looking for people? Um, I would say it's still a little bit of both. You know, so before moving to Portland, we worked with Airstream. And for those who aren't familiar, Airstream, it's an RV, kind of that classic American silver trailer. So in Australia, we'd call it a caravan. Oh, caravan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It looks amazing. Yeah. So we worked with them and that was actually just a cold call that I made. Hang on. So you made the cold call to them? Yes. Okay. So what was the pitch? The pitch was basically, hey, you know, we're leaving San Diego. This is who we are. We've been talking about, you know, considering living in a caravan RV. And we'd love to work with you to see if there's anything we can do. And it just kind of happened to be some good timing. They were about to launch kind of this new, what they called Endless Caravan. And we helped them launch that, essentially. So we had a few conversations, signed on with them, and lived out of the Airstream for three months where we were creating content for them, and they supported us on the road. So, you know, an example like that is where I cold call, and I still do that with a lot of brands that we want to work with. Like, we'll have kind of our list of, dream brands to work with. Wow. That is such a scary thing for anyone, you know, to make those cold calls. Yeah. And, you know, you've gone after one of the biggest brands and got a yes. That's so cool. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you dealing with this CEO or the marketing manager? Who are you dealing with when you call them? I was dealing with marketing at the time. Yeah. And it's a lot of navigating, you know, and a lot of people ask about how to do that. And honestly, it's you have to be willing to get a hundred no's before you get a yes. I have no problem with the rejection, so I'm more than happy to reach out. And a lot of times it's repeated reaching out. You know, I reached out to the same company multiple years in a row until we finally were able to work with somebody. And the hard part is finding who the right person is. You know, like sometimes all you get is a regular customer service email and that's all you can find. And other times you're able to kind of navigate your way through that. So it's a little bit of game, a little bit of a hunt to find the right person, but yeah, it's paid off sometimes. And again, I've got many more no's than yeses. (laughs) 
Let's take Airstream for an example. When you go in with that initial pitch, so let's say you've got the right person, do you go in, do you lead with numbers? You know, I've got this many readers, we're doing, we've got this much of a social media following, or is it more this yeah, is what I'm playing? a little bit of both. So a lot of times, I mean, I think any good pitch is, is focused on the client, right? It is what you can offer to the client. So I usually start off with that. It is what's the plan, what are we trying to do with them, and then following up by backing that up with numbers. So now that you know what I want to do, this is who we are, this is what we offer. I live in Gmail and I use that for everything and I use a lot of labs in there. I have like templates and whatnot and I use a lot of different templates where I have my base of what I'm sending out and just really tailor it to each company I'm reaching out to. Got it. When someone like Airstream comes back to you, do they say, okay, we're going to do this, we want to work with you, we want to partner with you guys? Do they then say, well, we need this many photos, we need this many blog posts, we want this many shares on social media. How specific are they with what they want from you? Yeah, each client is very different with that. With Airstream, it was a little bit of a conversation because I think they were still forming, they weren't sure what they wanted from this either. And so it was definitely a back and forth conversation. Okay, well, what's your budget? And what's, you know, like, what do you want to focus on? Their focus was actually they wanted to create video content. So we our minimum deliverables were actually just one video a week, um, some photos for their social. But obviously, we built a pretty deep catalog of blog content as well. But yeah, that was like their focus was on that video content. So we really shifted our focus for that. And Esther could still focus on creating the blogs. We have other clients who we've worked with repeatedly year after year who they're easy to work with. They just want creative content. It's blog posts, boosting that via social media. Other people are focused only on the social media aspect and they really could care less about the blog. So it's really interesting. I think there's no two that are alike and you have to kind of customize each package right. to each client. You know, when we're talking about social media there and you are sold on the fact that the blog is what does the heavy lifting, even though the advertisers and the businesses that you're dealing with you know, may want to see proof and have stuff on social media. How much are you using social media to drive people back to the blog or are you treating it as a standalone thing? I mean, we treat Instagram, Twitter, Facebook more as a way to interact with our readers, not necessarily to drive views or to drive anything. It's just more to kind of personalize who we are. I think Pinterest is the only one of all our social that we really focus on, obviously, to drive the traffic. And that's because just the nature of it, right? People are used to clicking through on it. Whereas... I feel like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, well, Facebook is people click through as well. But Twitter and Instagram are more of an ecosystem where people don't necessarily want to leave those ecosystems. So we really use those spaces more just to kind of connect with readers and, you know, have conversations and whatnot. Okay. And do you both get in and contribute to that sort of chat? Yeah. So really our Instagram, we both have our own Instagram. We do have a company Instagram that's a little more of a community page. But for the most part, we do most of our Instagramming on our personal accounts. Okay. So why do you have separate accounts? We had the separate accounts before we started. And we had talked about meshing them into one later on. But we really decided like it's just better for us to keep those identities and the following that we've had on them already. So that's partly why we just kind of left it that way. And we have very different aesthetics with our different accounts. And people follow Esther for her photography, whereas people follow me. And a lot of my following came from when I was in YouTube. So it was more for personality driven stuff. 
So, you know, if I post a beautiful photo of of a mountain and lake and I'm not in the photo, nobody cares. (laughs) Whereas for Esther... If she has, you know, any sort of selfie or close-up shot, you know, people don't care about that on hers. So it's really interesting to see kind of what audiences are fostered. And and we're able to use that to kind of tailor towards different clients as well. Yeah. The two accounts are so distinctively different, even though you're in the same areas. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And Esther, man, she's a super talented photographer. Her work is just gorgeous. Yes. Wow. So where to next for you guys? So our time in Portland is actually up. We're moving out of our apartment this week, so the end of September, and we're going to go back to Atlanta for a little bit to spend some time with friends and family. And this will be kind of the first public announcement, but New York City is going to be our next home base. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, we're excited. It's going to be very different. But over the past year or so, as we visited New York, we've kind of started to get more intrigued and like the idea of it. So we're going to see how we handle the big city. So do you already have a place worked out? No, not yet. That's uh, <laughs> We have a lot to do before we actually land there. Okay. And you mentioned earlier your readers and followers. How much do they get involved? How much do they get to influence what you guys see and do and, and where you go? We definitely look for suggestions. And when we move to a new city, we're always asking for expertise and whatnot, or anywhere we go, really. When it comes to actually where we move, we don't really have them chime in too much just because, you know, for us, that's going to be our home for the year. And we've found that it's really limited in terms of, you know, we need to be in a city that has enough diversity of what we can do for the blog. But also we found that, you know, we need to be back in a major hub airport. Like being in Portland has been great, but everywhere we're flying to, we're connecting through somewhere else, which has just been a pain. So as we've been picking this next city, we've decided, you know, we really need to be back in a major hub airport city. Okay. And when will you leave the States to do this? I don't know. So we have two cats. There are boys <laughs> and the overseas is just tricky with the cats because they have to go through quarantine and mm. some places like are up to six months of quarantine. So we also don't want to put them through that. So for now, we're going to leave international for like, we do two to three international trips a year and we've been happy with it so far that way. Nice. Mate, just to finish off, you know, when you guys had your photography business, I imagine when you were immersed in that, that was the be all and that was the thing. Now you've transitioned, you've got the blog, you know, do you see a time when you're going to be doing something else? Uh, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Wow. I thought the answer would be no way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think in this business, at least anything can change at any point in time. And I think that's part of what you have to accept with this travel blog industry and with blog or social media. You know, there could be, I don't know what would happen. I don't really want to think about it. But in the next six months, we could suddenly lose all our readership or whatever may happen. Right. And we've accepted that fact that if we still evaluate it year to year and if we see a decline that we're not happy with, we're always ready to move and pivot. We know that no matter what we're doing, we can make it work. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, if you look at your life now compared to when you were a photographer, yeah. Is the lifestyle or the money better or both? The lifestyle is better, absolutely. I think money is definitely better in wedding photography. Travel is, it's good. We're comfortable at this point, but we definitely could be making more in wedding photography. It's an interesting place because there are so many people who want to be travel bloggers as well. So we're in similar, right, to wedding industry. Until you reach a kind of certain threshold, you're kind of competing with people who are going to either undercut you or people who are willing to travel for free. But for us, 
you can't just fly us somewhere because we still have to pay bills. You know, so it's really educating and stuff on that aspect. And I think we're kind of a little bit past that threshold now. But up until about a year and a half ago, we were still kind of in that space where we're trying to grasp at anything we can get. But for now, we're comfortable. We're happy with where we are and we're loving the lifestyle. And it's been great. Wow. Mate, from the outside looking in, it, it looks and sounds amazing. And I'm looking forward to following more. Obviously, the best place for the listener is to check you guys out is localadventurer.com. Yes. I'll add links to the other social media profiles that we talked about. Mate, we're wishing you every success and I'm going to follow along and want to say a massive thanks, Jacob, for coming on and sharing what you have. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Well, I look forward to uh, following along with you as well. Alrighty, that is it for this episode of the show. Again, a massive thanks to Jacob for coming on and sharing so much about his business. I don't normally go so deep into the business side of things on the Photography Experiment podcast, but I found that side of the business super fascinating. So again, Jacob, a massive thanks if you're listening for, for sharing as much as what you did. It was enlightening for me. I know the listener would have got a ton from what you had to share. For you, the listener, if you do have a follow-up question for Jacob, first of all, head over to their blog, localadventurer.com check out what they're doing. And if there's a question that I didn't ask that you wish that I did, you can hit them up in the comments area over at the show notes. And they are at photobizx.com forward slash TPX21. Now in those show notes, you'll also find links to anything and everything that Jacob mentioned and talked about. You'll see some examples of his beautiful work. There's links to his social media profiles and Esther's. It's all there in the show notes, photobizx.com forward slash TPX21. Before I go, I want to say one last big thanks to the Image Salon for making this show possible and for sponsoring the podcast. You can find them at theimagesalon.com. And if you are even thinking about outsourcing your photography work and getting some help with your editing, your post-production, then speak to these guys because they are fantastic. That is it for this episode of the show. I'll be back soon with another episode. I'll talk to you then. Have a great week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Photo Experiment Podcast with Andrew Helmich, brought to you by PhotoBizX, the podcast to help you build a successful portrait and wedding photography business. To learn more, head to PhotoBizX.com. Hello, Edwina speaking. Hey, Edwina, it's Andrew here from the PhotoBizX Podcast. How are you? Going. Good, Andrew. How are you today? Good, good. Did I catch you at an okay time? Yeah, no, I can talk. I'm just in a car at the moment. Yeah, no worries. Look, I've just finished recording an episode of the Photography Experiment podcast and the Image Salon was sponsoring the show and you use them. Oh, yes, I do. Why do you use them? I use them because, A, I think their work is continuously good. I have used other companies before, but there was no consistency in the quality. Can you hear me? Sorry. I've got you loud and clear. Yeah, I just wasn't sure oh, yeah, if you were no, finished. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I thought I just might have cut out. <laughs> so, yeah, the consistency in their work is always spot on. I like they've got great customer service. So, they're really, there's someone like me who travels a lot sometimes, it's hard to get up, things uploaded and with lack of internet and whatnot, and they're always in touch, or they remind me, which is really great. Uh, I think they're very well priced for what they do, and probably the biggest thing is how much time they save me. So I can go out and shoot 
shoot, shoot more because I'm not having to worry about the editing. When you talk about the customer service, so if you have a drama, do you ring them or do you email them? How does that work? Yeah, I just email them and they get back to me straight away. When you talk to someone there, is it the same person or is it someone different every time? It depends who I, what it's about. If it's about my images, I'll talk to my editor, Christina, um, but I've never actually really had any problems there. If it's like, it might be just little things like, oh, I haven't downloaded the files properly. Um, do you still have them on file? And they have a you know, a customer service admin desk and someone always gets back to me straight away. So you actually Sorry? know you actually know the name of your editor? Yeah, I know the name of my editor, yep. <laughs> so is it is yep. it is it always Christina? If there's any concern, I'll hear from her directly too. How long did it take for Christina to get an understanding of what you wanted from your photography, from your images that she was working on? I reckon about four four shoots and then we'll pretty much spot on. Unreal. Yeah, um, I've used... Oh, I've just lost you, Edwina. I've lost you. You're still there? I'm going to try and call you back if you can hear me. Hello, you've reached Edwina Robertson. I'm available to chat between Monday to Thursday, 9 to 5. Outside of these hours, I'm either travelling or shooting a wedding, and I'll endeavour to return your call as soon as possible. If your matter is urgent. All right. Looks like that's the best we're going to get out of Edwina. I don't know where she is at the moment. I think she's in the middle of Australia somewhere, travelling to a shoot or from a shoot. But I think you get a good idea. She loves the image salon. She's been working with them for a long time. And best of all, they free up so much of her time to, to do what she wants to do. And like, you know, like you've been heard on her message, she's out travelling and shooting and doing what she loves to do. And she can do that because she has someone doing her post-production. If you want to hear more from Edwina, get back and have a listen to her interview over at PhotoBizX. Use the search bar there. I've actually recorded a couple of interviews with Edwina and, uh, yeah, she's a super talented photographer and living an amazing life. And it's easy to understand now, you know, why she has so much time on her hands to, to just go and shoot. It's awesome. All right, that is it for this episode for real. Chat to you soon. Bye for now.